Well, we are inching ever closer to Christmas Day, where we will gather to celebrate something God did, right? He came to be with us. He came to be among us. And as Julia already offered, I think it's worth repeating so we can uh, get it into our brains. Uh, Christmas Eve services, Christmas Day services are next week, of course. Uh, starting Friday at 7.30 will be our Christmas Eve Eve service. And I, I, I'm thinking that the uh, Chaos Youth Praise Team and the Oasis uh, CBJ Praise Team will be leading our worship at that service. And then Christmas Eve, please know, unlike years past, we're going to start the services two hours sooner. So the first service will be at 1.30, uh, which will again be the praise team. Uh, 3.30 will be our children's service, where Cherubs and Wesley Choir will, will uh, bless us uh, with their offering. And then 7.30, or 5.30, 7.30 will be some of the traditional uh, style of music uh, leading uh, the choirs leading us in, in our worship on uh, those services. And then on Christmas Day, we're going to have a service at 10.30. Pastor Robbie will be preaching for us, which is awesome since he's over at our Canal Fulton campus each week. It'll be nice to hear from him. Uh, we, we are kind of uh, promoting this service as a, because it's Christmas Day, one service at 10.30. Come in your pajamas. Uh, come with your coffee. We're going to be in the traditional sanctuary, but that's okay. Uh, come really informal just to celebrate, uh, again, the birth of Jesus on the actual day we celebrate uh, the birth of Jesus. Well, throughout this season of Advent, uh, this season of preparation for the comings of Jesus Christ, uh, we have been looking at the iconic story, a 1957 iconic story of that green guy by Dr. Seuss, right? How the Grinch came and stole Christmas. We all know how the story goes, right? Uh, the main antagonist is this green creature who I think is an elf, uh, but he lives alone, or he lives with his dog, Max, up on the top of Mount Crumpet. Uh, he is described as having a heart that was two sizes too small. However, by the end of the story, we know how it goes, having interacted with Cindy Lou Who and the other Who's from Who'sville. In a surprising turn of events, that heart that was two sizes too small became three sizes too big. Now, why his heart was two sizes too small and how it became three sizes too big, we do not know. But what we do know is that it is a story just that's wrought with, with reconciliation and with hope against all odds. And maybe that's what we love so much about it, right? Despite the way it begins, it ends happy. It ends by fulfilling some of the deepest longings of the human heart. Now, one of the main messages that uh, Dr. Seuss is pushing through the Grinch storyline is a message of joy. But it's not a joy that is found in things, but one that is found in the very message and subsequently a relationship with Jesus Christ. Church, what the Grinch gets so wrong in our story is the assumption that joy is found in the things we used to celebrate Christmas. He thought Christmas joy was contingent on the trees and the lights and the decorations and the roast beef dinner and being in community. You know, his heart's desire was to steal the joy of Christmas from the Who's of Who'sville by taking all of that stuff away. But by the end of the story, the Grinch realizes, wow, joy isn't found in the things of Christmas, but rather joy is found at the heart of the Christian message, it's found in the Savior of the world. 
Uh, listen now, uh, this well-known birth narrative of Jesus Christ out of the Gospel of Luke, of uh, just how Luke describes this good news of great joy that has come to be with us. Starts by saying, In that region there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. Then the angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. For see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all people. For to you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly, there with the angel was a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace among those whom he favors. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known. You know, even as I read that, I'm hearing Linus's voice in my head from Charlie Brown's Christmas. Be it what it may, this is God's word for God's people. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, I ask in the midst of these next few moments as we dive into your life-giving word that you would just bless the words of my lips, the meditation of all our hearts, that they be of profit to us and acceptable to you, for you indeed are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So as Dr. Grinch's, or Dr. Seuss's Grinch story nears the end, I actually read the book this past week and it was a joy to read again after whoever knows how many years I picked it up. But at the end of this story, the Grinch has convinced himself that he has succeeded in his terrible, awful idea of stealing Christmas from the Who's of Who'sville. You know, with great glee, he, he climbs up to the top of Mount Crumpet with that sled full of all the, the, the things of Christmas. And before he dumps it over the cliff, he, he leans his ear out to the Whoville, the Who's of Who'sville, with the hope of hearing wails and lamentation as they wake up and realize that they're Christmas has been stolen. Yet instead of laments, instead of wailing and crying, because Christmas was stolen from them, what the Grinch hears is joy-filled singing. He hears, as I quote the, the, uh, the chorus over and over from the Who's of Who'sville, Christmas Day is in our grasp as long as we have hands to clasp. Welcome Christmas. Bring your cheer. You know, at this climactic moment in our story, when the Grinch realizes that, that he has not stolen their joy from them, he admits to himself that he did not keep Christmas from coming, that it came all the same. You know, in that moment, in the midst of all the uncertainty and fear that they may have been experiencing at losing everything, the Who's of Who'sville sing with joy. And their joy is contagious, isn't it? Friends, hear me, joy has transformative power to it, I, I promise you. In fact, in our story, it causes the Grinch's heart that is two sizes too small to become three sizes too big. Man, friends, what a powerful depiction of what the joy of knowing our Savior can bring in the heart of a person, the heart of a family, the heart of a nation, the heart of a world. Here's why true joy can't be stolen from us. This is the reason joy can't be taken from us, friends. It's because true joy is grounded, hear this, not in what we've accomplished, not in what we try to fabricate for ourselves, 
But true joy is found in what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. But really, how challenging is that for us to realize, isn't it? Let's be honest. You know, we live in the midst of a culture that does its darndest to fabricate or to manufacture happiness, don't we? Again, a happiness based on what we can get or on what we can experience at any given time. By the way, this is what Disney does really, really, really well. Am I right? Many, if not all of you know this, but over Thanksgiving break, my family finally wore me down to the point where I took them to Disney. Uh, I took them so we could experience the happiest place on earth. All right? By the way, there's a picture up there coming, I think. One more. Oh, there it is. I pulled the, stone out of, uh, the, the sword out of the stone over at Magic Kingdom. Just want you all to know that, okay? I, anyways, I'm generally not somebody who's really into consumerism and, and into commercialization of things, but I got to hand it to Disney. They know how to put on a show. Look, it was a long trip. We drove down over 1,000 miles in one day. We drove back in one day. And because of the cost of tickets to go to Disney, we opened and closed those parks. Parents, are you with me? You know, we're at Hollywood Studios. It's a long day. We're huffing and puffing through this park, trying to get on as many rides as we possibly can get on. And all of a sudden, one of my children, whose name will be unknown to you in this moment, started getting pouty. I shut it down immediately, mom and dads, okay? I'm thinking to myself, I... I've spent way too much money to make you happy, and you're not going to lose that happiness with a bad attitude. Parents, are you hearing me, right? Man, we try to manufacture happiness, don't we? We try to buy happiness all the time, but it doesn't work. If it isn't Disney, what is it? It's the latest and greatest piece of technology, it's a new car or a new relationship that, that promises to, that the best days are ahead of us but it doesn't work. Friends, hear me. If joy is contingent on external forces, we will never find the contentment and the exhilaration in life that we most desperately long for. Here's the, the, the sermon in, in one statement. Here it is. Never, 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 never root your joy in something you can lose. Never root your joy in something or someone you can lose. The who's of Whoville, I keep saying Whoville, the who's of Whoville understood that, right? You know, as, as much as they love to celebrate the Christmas season with the trees and the lights and the decorations and with one another around the table with a beautiful roast beef dinner, they didn't root their joy solely in any of that, did they? How do we know? We know because when all of it was stripped away, they still had joy. Do you want to know how you can know if your joy is rooted in Christ Jesus or rooted in someone or someone else, something or someone else? Do you want to know how? Answer this question honestly. What happens if that person or that thing is taken away from you? Do you still have joy? Do you still have joy? Man, this is the fourth Christmas that my Buffalo family is going to be without my mom. 
My, my mom died of pancreatic cancer August 12, 2019. This is the fourth Christmas. And friends, I'm here to tell you, and those of you who've lost loved ones know this, it ain't gotten easier. You know, since I've been an adult, when I'd go home for the holiday season, I would be greeted at the front door to my mother's contagious smile, and she'd give me a huge hug. I'd then I'd walk through the threshold of that front door, and I'd be blasted with the smells of her baking our favorite holiday treats in her oven. Apple pies, cookies, peanut butter balls. You all in Ohio call those things Buckeyes. We call them peanut butter balls, okay? Most nights, we would stay up late, my mom, my dad, and myself at the kitchen table, and we'd just shoot the breeze. We'd catch up on life. My mom would be way up later than she ever wanted to be, but we were just catching up. I go home now, I don't get that anymore. Pancreatic cancer has taken that away from me, and I still grieve her loss. There's moments I got to walk out of the room because I'm crying, and I don't want my dad to see me crying. But listen, don't think for a moment, because I grieve her loss, that that loss has stolen the joy of Christmas from me. Friends, our Savior has come, amen? Our Savior has come, and never again will he be taken from us. You know, th this is our reality. This is the good news we declare. It can't be taken away from us. But listen, Herod... Pilate, the Jewish leaders, tried to take this joy away from us when they nailed Jesus to the cross. But that joy only got greater and deeper when Jesus, three days later, resurrected and walked out of a tomb. But listen, I know how easy it is to root your joy in an earthly relationship. How easy it is to, to root your joy in materialism or wealth or accolades or physical beauty. But man, these things fade over time, don't they? They get lost. Let me say it again, church. Never, ever root your joy in something you can lose. You know, the Apostle Paul understood this very well, didn't he? Read through the book of Acts. Read through his letters to the early church. You know, when Paul decided to follow Jesus Christ, he suffered greatly, didn't he? Lost his livelihood, disowned by friends, persecuted by the state, knew what it was like to be hungry, to be alone, prison, imprisoned for years on trumped-up charges. And yet, in the midst of all of that context of Paul's life, he speaks of having joy to the early church. F Philippians 4. Uh, Philippians was, is known as Paul's letter of joy. He's writing this from a prison cell church waiting to die for his faith in Jesus Christ, and yet he clings to his joy he has in the Lord that can't be taken from him. This is what he says. He says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned for me, but had no opportunity to show it. Not that I'm referring to be in need. That's important here. Paul's saying, I rejoice in knowing that you love me, but listen, your love for me my joy's not contingent on that, okay? But he goes on to say, For I have learned to be content in whatever I have. I know what it is to have little. I know what it is to have plenty. In all and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty and of being in need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There's a verse that's taken out of context all the time, isn't it? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
He's speaking that word against the backdrop of persecution in his life. What Paul is saying, friends, is his joy was found in the one thing he knew he couldn't lose, Jesus Christ. You know, our passage out of Luke, chapter 2, is really interesting uh, to look at in the context of our conversation in light of the shepherds in our story. You see, these shepherds, they didn't have the opportunity in their lives to root their joy in any earthly treasure. I mean, they were shepherds, right? They were on the lower rung of the socioeconomic ladder. They watched other people's sheep for them. They were probably on the level of a tax collector, maybe one rung up from that of a leper. They had nothing of joy to look forward to in their life, and yet it was to the shepherds that God gives good news of great joy first to. Don't you love that about our God? Always looking out for the nobodies in our lives? Always bringing joy in the lives of those who have nothing to, to be joyful about? Always bringing celebration into the lives of those who have nothing to celebrate? Man, this is so like our God. But God, hear this, even desires bringing joy into the lives of those who have plenty, but also have been found wanting, like us in America. Friends, what are some of the American ideals? What are our inalienable rights as an American? We are endowed by our creator with life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I mean, these ideals have been so ingrained within us that I think we've come to believe that happiness and joy is a fast forward or a fast pursuit forward, right? But what if during this holiday season, God is calling us to slow down so his joy can catch up to us? The, the prophet Isaiah, we quote him all the time during the Advent and Christmas season. 700 years before Jesus was born, he offered a, a word, prophecy on this coming uh, Messiah. Some of these you know very well, Isaiah 7, verse 14. It's quoted in our Gospels. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and, and you will call him Emmanuel, meaning God with us. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah 11, verse 1. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. Let me give you one more that's less familiar. Isaiah 35, the whole chapter. Isaiah offers us this beautiful imagery of how God's joy seeks to chase us down. So in the midst of longing for their Messiah to come and fix the mess that God's people found themselves in, Isaiah offers this word picture of God coming and what that coming entails. So the prophet says that when the Messiah comes, there will be rejoicing. People will be filled with joy. Why? Well, because those with weak hands will be strengthened. Those with, with shaky legs will be um, steadied. Those who are lame will walk. The blind will see. The deaf will hear. Those who live in fear will find themselves with courage. Isaiah 35 ends with this verse, verse 10. Again, this is the promise of the Messiah, what the Messiah brings. He says, The redeemed will return to the Lord and come to Zion singing, crowned with unending 
joy, or unending joy. Here it is. Joy and gladness will overtake them. Or another translation, joy and gladness will chase them down, and sorrow and sighing will flee. Church, you want to know something? I wonder if during this holiday season, as we're nearing Christmas Day, if we were willing to slow down enough to let God's joy catch us, do you think we could actually experience joy? Oh, but it's a pursuit forward, we say, right? After all, we're Americans, right? It's one of our ideals, right? Listen, just because it's an American ideal doesn't make it right. You're hearing that from the mouth of a very patriotic person. The angel says to the shepherd, do not be afraid, for I bring you good news of great joy for all people. For unto us is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is the Messiah and Lord. Let me ask you a question, church. Are you slowing down enough to hear the message of great joy? Are you slowing down enough to let joy catch up to you? Or are you just trying to pursue some manufactured happiness? Friends, don't put your joy in something you can lose. You are invited today to put your joy in what God in Christ Jesus has already done for you and can never be taken away from you. You know something? I think our world could use a little more joy, couldn't it? If so, church, why don't we then give them Jesus, who is the true source of both abundant and unending joy? Let us pray. Oh, Lord God, in this ever-hectic season where it seems we have too much to do and not enough time and energy to do it, Lord, in this hectic season, will you remind us to slow down so your joy can catch up to us? Oh, God, you have so much to offer us in Christ and lives can have their hearts grow three sizes too big because they have been seized by your grace and by your joy, the same things that have seized us. We love you, Lord. We pray this all in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.